You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents. This episode includes coverage of suicide. Self-harm is a serious problem, and one of the best things you can do if you're struggling with such thoughts is to reach out and talk to someone. In the United States, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline can be reached by dialing 988. If you're struggling, please seek help. We care about our listeners and want you to be around for many years to hear stories about monsters, science facts, and, of course, terrible puns. Thanks. You can enjoy extended commercial-free versions of this show by joining us at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. All one word, M-O-N-S-T-E-R-T-A-L-K. For as little as $2 a month, you can enjoy longer interviews, unbleeped language, and bonus episodes exclusive for patrons. And if $2 a month is not workable for you, but you still want to help out, be sure and leave us a positive review on your podcasting platform of choice. iTunes reviews in particular can help bring in new listeners, and your positive reviews really make a difference. If you want to learn other ways to help out, visit monstertalk.org forward slash support, where you can find even more ways to help keep this show going. Thank you to all of you who are supporting us with your hard-earned money and valuable time. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or even exceed your expectations. Now, what I'm about to tell you is true if you want to hear it. I do want to hear it. You do want to hear it. Then I'll tell you. I was never superstitious. I'll give you a ride. But then something happened in my life which scared the hell out of me. And for something like that to happen to me is something that I can't understand to this day. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. We've recently been looking at ghostly hitchhiker legends, and in this episode, Karen brings us a creepy tale from her childhood that is both a strange twist on the original formulation of the legend, and also one that comes to us from a big and small screen icon from the 60s all the way through the 90s, the bald Greek lollipop-sucking phenomenon, Telly Savalas. Stand by as we take a wild ride with Mr. Savalas into the Monster Talk Zone. Monster Talk. Recording, sir. Yep. Outstanding. 
So it looks like once again, we're going to be delving into the uh, the endless treasure trove of things that scared the crap out of us when we were kids. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's exactly what I was going to say. And we're joined by Matthew Baxter today as well, because he has a love for this particular story, too. Oh, cool. And okay. you, I think, Blake, hadn't heard of it. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm about four weeks into knowing about this, something like that. I, I didn't know much about this at all. This was all new. To, and I never heard of this show, but I have since tracked it down and added it to my collection. So today we're going to talk about uh, Telly Savalas's ghost story. So when you said you hadn't seen the show before, I thought you meant Kojak. But uh, no, I think you mean the extraordinary. I do mean the extraordinary. Yeah, and I don't expect you to have heard of that one. Yeah, this this is an interesting uh, TV show, and so I would recommend that our listeners go and check out the extraordinary because it's a fun paranormal TV show that's starring uh, the actor Warwick Moss. And when I was a kid, I remember watching an episode of this, and there was a, a story that Telly Savalas told, and. I thought it was really interesting because it's a kind of vanishing hitchhiker legend. Yeah. Although this one's unique because it's the reverse vanishing hitchhiker legend. So it's in this case, it's the driver and not the hitchhiker who's the ghost. Quite peculiar. Yeah, I, I like these kind of reverse stories. Before we dive in on the story, should we briefly mention who Telly Savalas is? I think so. I think a lot of our listeners will have grown up with him or know of him. And I didn't really watch Kojak when I was a kid, but my, my father was an avid fan. And uh, so, yeah, he was an actor. He did a lot of other things, too. He had a degree in psychology, and he was a world-class poker player as well. Wow. Uh, he was a lifeguard at some point and a motorcycle racer. So he's appeared in lots of different shows and films, The Birdman of Alcatraz, and even a Bond film, a James Bond film. Yeah, he played Blowfield uh, for one Majesty film. Yeah. Service. Yeah. Yeah. He was the villain. Yeah. And he, he, um, I think he was, wasn't he in the Dirty Dozen? I think he was, wasn't he? Like, yes. the, he was like yes. the sort of crazy psycho guy. Uh, and it, it, yes. You know, if yeah. you're going to be an actor, being named Tally is good, but maybe motion picture Savalas would have done him more service, you know? <laughs> yeah. but, uh, well, what he's most famous for, anyway, I think that most of our listeners will be familiar with the show Kojak. So the 1970s show where he played a, a lollipop. Sucking or sucker, sucking New York cop Lieutenant Theo Kojak. So yeah, I think that's where most people will know of him. So I was really surprised uh, just knowing him, his character. He just seems like a no nonsense kind of a guy. But to hear that he had a ghost story uh, was was really interesting to me. Now we have typed out a transcript of the story as it's told on the extraordinary. And Matt is going to read this to us, and he's promised me that he's not going to do a, a Long Island <laughs> kind of New York <laughs> Telly Savalas <clears throat> accent. Right, Matt? It, it is a promise that I may or may not be able to keep. Uh, the, the true problem <laughs> with this is the way that, you know, when I transcribed it, I can only hear it that way, but I will try not to deliver it that way. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> okay. Now, are you going to do a straight-through read? Will, will I be doing my uh, apply can, the filter I do where I let people know we're doing a quote? Or Well, you, you could do that. Uh, we also could, if you want, do a, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 and uh, – Just talk um, through it. <laughs> stop stop and talk about it as we're going. And right, That's uh, that's fine. I, what I, just tell it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll okay. listen. So, so what about – the who's going to do the uh, the uh, um, ghost voice? You. <sighs> I'm going to have to be switching registers. So it'll, okay, it'll let me tell you something. The 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 ghost. Uh, th- this is uh, I don't want to spoil this. Maybe I should wait wait till we get uh, into the episode. But in professional wrestling, there was a character uh, who was sort of a a, a manager character, and he, his name. Uh, he was a mortician slash wrestling manager, and his name was Paul Bearer. Okay, and he worked with the Undertaker and Kane, and had these crazy WWE storylines. But he talked exactly like this ghost does, and it, it's so annoying and weird and disturbing. Uh, I'm gonna have to go and check that out. Now. Yeah, I could throw a clip in here when we get to the actual. But let's let's go. Cool. All right, here we go. 
<laughs> now, what I'm about to tell you is true. If you want to hear it, you want you want to hear it. Okay, then yeah. I I was never superstitious. I'll give you a ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty accurate. That's perfect. Uh, but then something happened in my life which scared the hell out of me. And for something like that to happen to me is something that I can't understand. To this day, uh, God knows how many years ago. Let me think now. Uh, 58, 59. That's, that's a lot of years ago now. I just left off a date. Beautiful young girl since left us. And it's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going home to Long Island after dropping her off. And what happened? I ran out of gas and, eh, you know, I go to this White Castle restaurant and he says, is there a gas station open? And he says, yeah. He says, you walk through the woods, he says, uh, get on the Grand Central Parkway, take it, uh, take it to the Cross Island Parkway. He says, there's a gas station there open all night. Okay, sir. I start walking through the woods, but a wooded area. And as I'm doing that, I hear a voice say, I'll give you a ride turn around and there's this guy in the Cadillac it's and, old. And, and and I didn't hear the Cadillac you, you, you hear you hear the voice and and what do you see I see a guy in a white suit and uh, I hear a, a feminine voice okay I'll give you a lift I said hey it's very nice uh, I said I'm uh, going to a gas station we get to the gas station talking very nice and uh I'm fumbling around in my pockets, and he says, I'll lend you a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't ask for it. And the truth is, I was, I was broke. And I said, well, look. I says, you know, I've, I, I work for the State Department. And, well, anyway, give me your address. All right? Allow me to mail it to you because I'm very embarrassed. Anyway, I go there, I get a can, I pay for the gas. I put the gas in the car, we start driving back to my car. I thought it was very nice of him. And then out of the clear blue sky, he says, I know I'm not going to mention the name. Uh, I know, so it's a baseball player. Uh, we weren't talking baseball. And I, I said, uh, who is he? He says, well, he's a utility infielder for the Boston Red Sox. Oh, it's so bizarre that he would say it in the spookiest voice I ever heard. He kept driving, get to my car, put the gasoline. He pushes me to get it started. My car starts, I thank him very much. All in all, it's a very lovely experience. Someone to help you out like that. No incident whatsoever. Go home, go to work in the morning, get out in the afternoon. This headlight in the, the then uh, Journal American, so-and-so dead, the guy he mentioned in that very spooky voice. Age 26, young. Under very mysterious circumstances, on autopsy and all that stuff. Great Scott, what a frightening coincidence. I go home and I says, hey, Ma, isn't that funny? My mother, I think, was part witch. I explained it to her. She says, yeah, well, telly, strange things do happen. Then I remember he gave me that piece of paper for me to send a buck to. And I look at it, and there beside the address, there's a telephone number. Okay. Pick it up. I call the number. Jimmy's bar. Oh, I said, uh, can I speak to Mr. Cullen, please? Who? Mr. Cullen. Just a minute. Woman gets on the phone. Who's calling? Hi, may I speak to Mr. Cullen, please? He's not here. When do you expect him? Who is this? I says, well, I was with Mr. Cullen last night. He gave me this telephone number and said I could reach him. She says, look, you son of a so-and-so. I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about my husband, and he's been dead for two years. Anyway, I couldn't let it go. I did get in touch with the woman again. I did meet her in New York. She came down from Boston, you know. This is a little too weird. The clothes I described were the clothes he was buried in. The piece of paper that he gave me uh, signed uh, James Cullen. Well, she brought a letter that he wrote her when he was in the Army. It had Jimmy on it. Outside of that, the signatures, identical. There was only one thing that was different. I said, uh, he, he had a high voice. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. She said he had a deep voice like yours. Ah, that, that meant he killed himself this way, right through the, the voice uh, box, whatever. Anyway, the story happened to a guy like me. And as I say, it's been haunting me now for close to 40 years. 
and seen. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I could hear you trying to slip into the act. I was trying to slip out of it. Yeah. It just was just coming on <laughs> so naturally. I was channeling telly at times. <laughs> Isn't it a great story? I think it's just so creepy. It is. And if you go and watch the video uh, on The Extraordinary, it is even creepier. They do this reenactment and I mean, it's kind of cheesy at the same time, but it's uh, it's a good story. And Matt and I found an earlier version of it because I thought at first maybe this is the the, the first and only time he told this story. Uh, but we found this earlier version. It was a TV host, Bill Boggs, had interviewed Savalas in London back in 1976. And it was interesting because there were a few discrepancies in the story. Savalas said that this happened at 3 a.m., not 2 a.m., and he also said that Jimmy Cullen had been dead three years, not two years. And he kept saying every word is true. Yeah. And yeah, which is always a red flag when someone <laughs> keeps saying, oh, every word is true. It's all true. It's true. Like, yeah. yeah, based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he again, he seemed earnest when he was telling it, but uh, it was just a little suspicious that he kept justifying it that way. Yeah, yeah. But memories do change. I mean, we've we've certainly seen that. Yeah. Yeah, over the yes, you know the the, yes. the span of years from that first time he told it to the last time he told it, there wasn't much different. In fact, parts of it were mm-hmm. word for word, which is mm-hmm. suspicious. As it well. is suspicious, yeah, in itself. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about some of the the uh, the characters in this story and what's kind of going on behind the scenes. And uh, so I've seen a couple of. Other podcast, or listen to a few other podcasts where they've talked about this topic, and uh, everyone's really kind of retold the story. It's like there's not really much to say about whether this happened or not. So we thought we'd do some research into the story and just see what we could find. And uh, there's really not that much out there, but we did as much digging as we could. And so he mentions the utility infielder that the strange man had referred to, and um, doing some digging, it seems like it would have been a baseball player by the name of Harry Aganis. He was known as the Golden Greek, and he played for the Boston Red Sox and died at the very young age of 26. And that was June 27th, 1955. But he didn't die under suspicious circumstances, as Savala says. He'd suffered a pulmonary embolism. So he had had a bout of uh, pneumonia and then developed a blood clot, which killed him. So a lot of people will say, oh, they, they both had this Greek background, so there's some kind of mystical connection Connection. uh, between the two of them yeah Uh but it's from this claim it seems that the or suggests that the events would have taken place on that date or around that date which was june 27th so 1955 not 1958 or 59 as savala says because he said that he saw the news about the sports star's death in a magazine called the journal american and he's seen that the next day so this is something that I, I can't see anyone else have, has turned up, but it appears that Savalas was actually married at this time. So he talks about having been on a date, and uh, but he was married. He'd been married to his college sweetheart, Catherine Nicolades. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Yeah, that sounds right. So they got married in 1948, and they didn't get divorced until 1957. So in 1955, he was still married. Therefore, he was cheating on his wife on this date. And uh, so Matt did some digging and found out that he was, in fact, having an affair with uh, actress Joan Hackett. Yeah. So when he mentioned, so, you know, that she's no longer with us, that that fits yes. her profile as well. She did die in the 80s. Wow. Uh, you know, she was in East Harlem. So it coincides with him driving back out to Long Island. Perhaps this is why he was being vague about the date and the year and said that it was 58 or 59. And he did marry again, not Joan Hackett, but another woman in 1960. He's changing the dates in the story so that his date is after he's divorced. So he's yes. not. Yeah, gotcha. That's interesting. Yes. That's a nice detail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting to, to find that out. But the, the main star of this story is this James Cullen, Jimmy Cullen. This strange man who's dressed in white and with the high-pitched voice, 
I've got a high pitch voice. <laughs> <laughs> so he does in both versions, not only on The Extraordinary, but this other interview from the 70s, he refers to this fellow as James or Jimmy Cullen. So I don't know exactly what the spelling would be. I'm assuming it's C-U-L-L-E-N. And if he did exist, he must have died around 52 to 53 or 54 in the Boston area. Yeah. As the wife had said, well, she said, she said two years before, but in the other version, the earlier version, he said three years. It was just very tricky to find any evidence of such a person who could fit that exact profile. And I went looking on Find a Grave and there have been quite a few James Cullens uh, in the past. Very popular name, it seems, in America and Australia and Ireland. Uh, and there were a number of James Cullens who had died around that time, but none of them really sounded like they fit the profile, except for one likely candidate. And his name was James F. Cullen. And he was buried in a cemetery in Waltham. Massachusetts, so about 20 minutes away from Boston. And he died January the 5th, 1954, when he was aged 57. And so he was in the army. He was in World War One. He was a member of the infantry. And he had a wife. Her name was Corinne or Cora Cullen. And she died in 1966. So there's a possibility that this could have been the person he was talking about. Even still, it's not proof that Telly saw a ghost, of course, or right. maybe it was even someone playing playing a trick on him. Uh, it, it's really difficult to track this information down so many years afterwards now that he's gone and uh, it doesn't seem like there's any biographical information where family members have spoken about this story. So it's, it's really difficult. And if he was fudging details, then I think it complicates things as, as well. Now, we looked into Jimmy's bar and we couldn't find one that was owned by a, Gull a Cullen family in Boston during the 1950s or the 1960s. There is a Jimmy's bar and restaurant or something that's, I think, a, a staple of the area, but it, it's owned by a, a different family. And uh, I came across a forum where another researcher was talking about White Castles because he'd mentioned going into a White Castle restaurant to ask about, about a, a uh, petrol station, gas station in the area. But at that time, there uh, weren't any white castles in, in the area. And so it was really interesting that this person said, oh, there was a white tower in the Queen's Long Island area, and apparently it was very similar to White Castle. And so to, our, to the astonishment of Matt and myself, when we found this original interview, he actually referred to it as a white tower instead of a white castle. So it's oh, just interesting wow. to see over the years yeah. these little things changing uh, from the original story or the, the earlier version of it. It's cool to sort of be doing this sort of dissection too because, you know, it's it's like this happened a long time ago. It happened to a celebrity if it happened. and But there's enough details in here. You can just sort of start fact-checking some of it, you know, so which yeah. is very cool. Yes. Oh, it's interesting enough. Even though he doesn't mention the baseball player, you can figure that out. Yeah, and figure out who it is. And one of the interesting things is that one of, one of the websites we looked at had also seen the earlier version of the story and made a statement that that was kind of interesting. They said it was um, different enough that obviously the, the second one was pure fiction. And that didn't make any sense to me that you would base, you know, uh, after what, 20 years or, you know, 20 to 30 years of not, of, uh, you know, the story being told that there are going to be little differences and they were little differences. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just seemed weird to me that someone would say, oh, it's got to be fiction because there were differences. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. 
Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, my God. Uh, That's just how memory works. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, it, what, mm -hmm. what's really funny to me is even though I know memory is malleable, I mean, it is, it's like there's been times when st things have happened to me and I've written down the information and I don't go back and look at it. Mm -hmm. I retell the story over time and then I go back and look at it later and I've changed my own story and it's a thing that feels like I know it perfectly, but it's, it's been transformed just by, you know, every time you retell it, you're kind of reconstructing the memory in your brain mm -hmm. and it's really easy to introduce, you know, oh, changes. Yes. So uh, there's nothing, you don't have to be deceptive to have the story right. change at all. That's in it, well, yeah, but everything you just said, Blake, uh, you you mean it, right? I mean, you it, it's heartfelt. You you're telling us the truth. Now, can you repeat it all identically? No, no way. What you just said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I do find that you know there's not evidence that this is fake. There, there's other evidence that this is fake, but not that. Mm -hmm. Well. <laughs> well, yeah. We're, well, yeah. Let's continue. So the, some of the th things that I find are interesting with the story is just how long the ghostly driver seems to hang around and be involved in this story instead of just vanishing without a trace like in other hitchhiker stories. So he not only interacts with the physical world around Savalas, but he also apports objects for him to use. So he gives him cash and the piece of paper on which he's written his name and his telephone number, and he even helps push Savalas's car. You don't hear many ghost stories where you've got a ghost that's that interactive yeah and and uh, and is the cadillac a ghost car or is it a real car that he's borrowed i don't know yeah good question i just don't know good it, question it's strange to me that with this encounter he sees the cadillac that the man pulls up in but he never actually heard it as well but uh i mean just th these are things that you don't don't normally hear about in ghost stories it's certainly a different one yeah, well, the thing is, is being a ghost has a certain amount of privilege with it. And one of those privileges is always having an excuse for why you can't help someone move. <laughs> mm -hmm. So for this ghost mm -hmm. not to use that, uh, I, it is uh, it raises a, a red flag right there for me. So There's a certain film that involves a character who turns out to have been a ghost the whole time. <clears throat> And uh, it's so fun because you watch the movie and you don't realize that that's, that's the big twist. And then later you find out that's the big twist. So you want to go back and see it again. And then you realize that this character who's actually supposed to be a ghost is never really interacting in the physical world. Like he's always like walking through open doors and like just everything that ha you mm -hmm. see him doing is not mm -hmm. actually picking up things and interacting with things. So that's kind of fun. So Yeah, totally. But this guy does. Yeah, yeah. It's a unique story. But there is a weird postscript to this story too, which you can go and check out on YouTube. Matt, do you want to do the honors again? Of Yeah, uh, it, it's, uh, not, it's not word for word. Um, this one is just a little bit uh, uh, just off you know, memory. So correct me if I get mm -hmm. any details wrong here. But uh, years later – He's uh, out playing golf with a, a few friends. I think um, the date's important. 
I'm not mentioning the date at the moment because of that. Now, the, th the thing is, is uh, he always makes sure to name drop uh, when he talks about mm -hmm. who he's hanging out with. And he does that with these yeah. these other golfers. But it has nothing to do with the story. Uh, but he's out there playing golf and there's all of a sudden this familiar voice. And he looks up and there's James Cullen uh, up on the hill yelling down to him in that creepy voice. Did you hear what happened in Dallas? <laughs> <laughs> and Tully was like, what? And kind of yelling back to him and, and he didn't respond. And he, and he went over to one of his friends and was like, did you hear that? And the guy's like, yeah, what did he say? So again, there's an interesting interaction with more than one person actually seeing and hearing him being involved yeah. yeah a third party um and so they end up you know i think back at the clubhouse if i'm not mistaken and uh mm -hmm. up on the news uh well, i believe it was walter cronkite from dallas texas the flash apparently official president kennedy died at 1 p.m central standard time two o'clock eastern standard time some 38 minutes ago 90 minutes before, which is the time that James Cullen made uh, the the uh, the real scoop on the story. That's so weird. It is. And uh, uh, I don't know if this James Cullen was a recurring figure in his life outside of these two stories, but he does finish the interview by saying that this is only part of what happened to him over the course of his life, but he didn't want to discuss the rest. So, Matt, one final Yeah, rating. well... One of the things he does in the original storytelling back in the 70s uh, on the, the Bill Boggs uh, interview is he's, you know, oh, the story doesn't end there, but I'm not going to tell you the rest and just kind of stops short. And then mm -hmm. when he tells the story again in the 90s, he does a little bit of that, but then he gets kind of dragged into telling this next part of the story. And then he says, but it doesn't even end there. And I wish the hell it would. That there's more to the story. Now we'll never know unless it's written somewhere. But that's another thing that makes this seem like such an earnest, uh, you know, thing is because of the fact that he's admitting he's not telling you everything, you know, mm -hmm. because people love to, you know, tell everything they can in a story like this. And do everything they can to make you believe. While he, you know, tells this very detailed, intricate story, and then he pulls back. Now, is that a, mm -hmm. uh, a theatrical technique he might be using? Because you know he he was definitely into you know different uh, you know forms of drama and things like that. But uh, I, I don't know. It's it's just a, a kind of an interesting thing that he he will not tell, or he did not tell the rest of the mm -hmm. story. And if I had more to tell. Well, I would absolutely be telling it. Well, it's interesting because he's, you know, he's a performer. He's a raconteur, uh, you know, so he likes telling these stories. And when you're in the entertainment business, part of your job is to go on to shows and sort of promote your stuff by being not the character, right? You're supposed to be like you as an actor are supposed to be interesting. And for some reason, we seem to like mm -hmm. carry a lot of, uh, um, like we we put a lot of weight and interest and focus on what actors do. Like they're not the ones writing the scripts, you know. They're not the ones really doing the things that happen in the stories. But somehow they become these sort of proxies for heroism and macho and all these other sort of values. Mm -hmm. So you know, as a person who's plugged into that scene, you know, he had real life accomplishments, but he also is known for being a fictional person. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like mm -hmm. it, there's a performance in each of these retellings, but, yes. but I don't know if he's telling them because they're, it, I guess here's the thing. It reminds me so much of the Lord Dufferin story, right? Uh, where we, oh, in the, yes. And it's like, it's, and in that story, Lord Dufferin would tell this story is true and it has it having happened to him, mm -hmm. but he's really taking mm -hmm. a piece of folklore and sort of buffing it up and, you know, personalizing it and then claiming it actually happened to him. 
And I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. did some of this really happen? Did, did, or is he making this story up or is it like he took a real event and expanded on it? You know, I don't know. It's so peculiar yeah. though. Like you mm-hmm. say that, that a ghost would be driving a real physical car around and that he would ride around in it. You know, mm-hmm. if that, if, if we let's pretend for just a minute that we are going to be full ghosties, we're going to say this all is supernatural, right? So if somebody else mm-hmm. came by, do they see Telly Savalas get into a car? Like, I mean, because, I mean, he really does come back with gas to yeah. put in the car. So th- that whatever ghostly thing was going on there, it had to be physical enough to tool him around, right? I mean, <laughs> so he was like, you're saying that oh, people see him sitting in the air coach. floating down it, the road. Exactly. Would, would he have been doing that? Because, I mean, <laughs> the, the gas is real, you know, I mean, but is is he pretending to talk yeah. to some, you know, or, yeah. I'll give you a clue. Exactly. Do y'all guys hear that? Do you hear that? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> well, you know, here, here's another kind of interesting point that struck me. Now, of course, this is not you know, uh, appropriate ever, but it, it was, um, we'll say a little more accepted in the day. I mean, in, in the seventies, when he had that interview, he was tentative about getting into the car because he thought the driver may be homosexual. Ah. And, and Gaze. you know, what part does that play into it? Did he feel like he had to give reasons why he may have taken a ride from, from a, from a gay man? Mm-hmm. You know, because he kept saying, oh, there was no incident. It was completely, you know, uh, lovely and, you know, and what a nice guy to do something yeah, nice yeah. like that. And it's like, you know, Doth protest sure. a little too much. Um, it there, there just seems like there, there could be something there that maybe a, someone did give him a ride. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and who knows how it turned out. But now he's constructing things. But then at the same time, we got the fact that he's cheating on his wife just left from her now does he need to make up a story on why he's late getting home because he was actually living with his mother um at that point he was going out to his mother's house and he knows she's part witch so he can tell her a crazy story Mm -hmm. like this and she'll believe it right off the bat and that it just Mm -hmm. became the truth over time i mean we've got a lot of possibilities here there's another thing to consider as well that if he if that was the situation and i think that that is a really good theory that he concocted this story to cover his tracks and this was the day in the days before there was no fault divorce in new york and so perhaps he's seeing this woman on the side and he had to concoct this this uh big story to to cover his tracks so that his wife didn't get wind of this and could then use this as information uh to to be able to get money out of him and apparently he will was like he said in the story he was broke at that point and uh that was one of the reasons that she divorced him is that he had creditors coming after him and he was running away from them um outside of the adultery as well but uh, i i do think that that's that's a really good theory but i think that there's another interesting postscript to this story and that is that he died only a few months after he'd given this interview and that was in january on january 22nd 1994, he died of prostate cancer. So this was the last time he had told this story uh, publicly. And um, it's just sad that he passed away a couple of months after that. So he uh, really took a lot of the answers to the grave because at this point, all we can really do is come up with theories. And I believe there's some kind of natural explanation behind this story, of course, but it is a really chilling tale. It's a fun one to uh to watch and i really want everyone to go and check it out uh to hear him tell it because he's a very charismatic guy and uh he he comes across as so earnest as well and his storytelling and very shaken by the story too yeah i'm just imagining him getting in the car or he's walking out to the car to go to the doctor to find out what happened when he suddenly hears a voice I'll give you your lab results. And they're like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if you believe in this kind of thing, you would think that perhaps this James Cullen met him when he died, when he crossed over, that there was some kind of link there uh, that he was waiting for him. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a creepy thing to think of, but there is a little bit of interesting trivia too. There's an episode of Kojak where he's questioning a suspect 
and he says to him, the guy that you're identifying has been dead for two years. He blew his brains out up in Boston. So life, yeah. He did seem to put a lot of himself into uh, his character, you know, with the, the lollipops. That was apparently because he himself was trying to quit smoking just like his character. So I'm just wondering if they needed a plot or a storyline here and uh, he took that from his story. But it just does seem like he was very impacted by whatever happened. Yeah. He had a, you know, he was from a big family. He had a lot of brothers who were also either actors or became actors. Mm-hmm. And um, in Kojak as well, his brother George was uh, a uh, one of the actors. I I watched Kojak when I was a little kid, and I've never really watched it again. So I, I don't. I, my memories are just remember him saying "Who loves you, baby," and that's basically it. <laughs> we watched episode one, season one, yeah. episode one, uh, the other night, and great fun. It, yeah. it was great fun. He was still. No, I didn't have the lollipop yet. Yeah, they were uh, didn't love anybody, baby. Yet that's mm-hmm. based on a that one's based on a yeah. uh, um, uh, true story, or like the 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 first episode's based on a, a real murder. Yes, yeah, yes. Yep. So, well, then that'll be a future episode of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very well dressed and yeah, uh, just very enigmatic. And so to hear him tell the story, uh, we know whether it's true or parts of it are true or whether he's made it up and he's just acting, it's very compelling. It is. And the way he tells them, he's so human. I used the word raconteur earlier, but I, when I think about that, I there's people in my life who are just really good storytellers. And uh, one of those is uh, my uncle Charles, who was uh, unfortunately uh, going through dementia now. So I think his storytelling days are over, but, Man, when we used to get to like a family reunion or any kind of get together, you wanted to go sit near Uncle Charlie because he would just tell you all these crazy stories. And every time he told a story, mm-hmm. he would draw you in. It was a performance. He might as well have been a bard. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, it was like he was, you know, the, everybody stops drinking and smoking and everybody, <laughs> you, get, you get the attention, you know, and it's like. You know, it, it was just so good. He was so good at that. And I, I that's the way I feel about Savalas here. He's He's yes. got this story down. Mm-hmm. It's a story he's told before. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a performance. And he's telling it as earnestly as he can. I don't know if it really happened. But it's a, if, you just, if you're the kind of person who carries around interesting stories to whip out at the right moment, you know, you kind of polish them up and, and treat cool. them special, you know? Yeah. But at, but at the, the same, same time, time. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> you both said at the same time, at the same time, that was really weird. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't retell it that many times. Yeah. I mean, we have this, at least on the uh, air, right? Yeah. The interview in the 1970s and then in the 1990s. And we don't have uh, any other examples of him retelling it. And uh, unlike the Lord Dufferin case, where apparently any opportunity he would retell the story to the point where his wife would yawn and complain. Oh, here we go again. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be that way with Telly Savalas. It seems like he was just very um, measured in his retelling of the story, which again adds to that kind of allure and seeming as though, well, this is real, and he's only telling it when you know he's in it. He's really begged to do so. Well, and then when he does stuff like. Uh... Uh, he talks about going to the clubhouse and he's like, um, you know, he's got all this detail on so many things. And then he goes, and then I ordered uh, uh, whatever the hell I ordered. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, he's got these little kind of really human moments in it that uh, I think uh, mm-hmm. draw you in even more because you're like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. I can't remember what I had this morning either. So, Oh, oh yeah, that. And of course, his focus is on what had happened. Uh, yeah, and his his retellings. I mean, he does give a lot of detail in, in the areas that are important, and but it just seems strange that he gives the name of James Cullen, but then won't mention the name of the baseball player. And again, that seems like it's him covering his tracks because that would place a date on the event, even yeah. though he tells you he played for the Boston Red Sox. So you can go and look it up yourself. Yeah, but he's well, telling this at a time when the internet wasn't really a exactly. thing yet. So <laughs> exactly true. Yeah, yeah. true. The, yeah, the, the normal per- person watching this on TV was not going to be able to go click, 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 aha. Right. So it, Exactly. And but today. Nowadays, yeah. Right. Today we can pause television, rewind, you know, <laughs> write things mm-hmm. down. 
go hit the internet and search to see what's yes. real and what's not real. But let's let's say this, you know, yep. you you've you've done an interesting approach here. We've we've taken the the original story, we've broken it apart to see what verifiable contents it has. And some of it checks out. So, but what what does that ultimately leave us yep. with? I mean, what what can we say about this case? There's plausible elements, and then there's a giant supernatural. You're going to have to prove it to me, Telly. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think uh, you know, we need to really look at this as a good story, and that it has the has these folkloric elements which make it urban legend like. Yeah. like a vanishing hitchhiker story. And I think that, that we really need to take away from this. This is a great story. Uh, uh, and even though there are some elements, as you say, that uh, could potentially be real, does it even really matter? I don't know. For me, this is indisputable proof that Bigfoot is real. Love you, baby. You're beautiful. But, uh, yeah, I, some of our listeners may have heard this story too and perhaps they've got more information so if anyone does please get in touch with us and let us know because uh this was a really tough nut to crack there's not that much out there it's a cool creepy story and when so many people who were involved have passed now his himself and his uh ex-wife and his lover as well uh, and James Cullen, apparently. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. Harry Aganis. Aganis uh, all, all of these people are gone. So it, it's just, it's impossible to verify. And, um, but yeah, I mean, lots, lots of different theories. You know, it could be that someone was playing an elaborate prank on him. But I still like Matt was the one who came up with the idea that he came up with this uh, story to cover his tracks. And I think that's a, a good theory. It is an interesting one. Like now he says, I was on a date, but maybe when he originally told it, that was not part of it. You know, I was right. just driving home and ran out of gas and boy, then things got weird. <laughs> right. Right. And the thing is, is, is Telly has a hard time not bragging about his prowess. So I'm sure that if, if, mm-hmm. if that part of the story wasn't in it in the beginning, after he was divorced and everything else, he probably couldn't resist you know, because that's the first thing he says, beautiful young girl since passed, since left us. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think he, he had a. I'm surprised he didn't come on to Jimmy Cullen's widow. Yeah. Oh, I. I well, which mm, I think I, is I, more yeah. evidence that it is the the, uh, the Jimmy Cullen yeah. that you think it was, that this was an older woman. This yeah. was uh, someone that maybe he wasn't going to just jump mm. right away. But that's probably why he didn't let it go and wanted to meet her before he made that decision. Yeah, th- he reminds me of Zeus a little bit. I know he's Greek and, uh, you know, kind of gets around. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway. Um, well, yeah, interesting story. He was a very interesting character. It was, it was fun to investigate because I've just, I've been scared of this story since I was a kid. Which is classic monster talk. I guess the thing is, you know, like, like you say, we, there's not a lot of proof here, but there's a lot of interesting points. It's a cool uh thing to investigate uh and maybe you know like say if any of our listeners have any insights or information or more details or anything like that throw it our way we'll take a look in touch yep i've got a clue (laughs) (laughs) and on that note thanks for joining us matt on that high note absolutely and it was fun to do this research with matt as well too i think he He's uh, well. We've been joking about that line. I mean, it's it's irresistible. Once you see that uh, video, you, yeah, you'll yeah, never stop saying it. I'll put <laughs> I'll put I'll put some of that audio into the show. And uh, excellent. And uh, I think when after the ending, uh, I'll probably throw a little clip of the under uh, uh, Paul Bearer from the WWE, so you can get a clip of that. But also want to say, Karen thanked me for uh, coming on the show and, and uh, doing the investigation uh, research and everything with her. I always have to say I'm incredibly impressed with uh, Karen's ability to dig deeper than anyone else on the web has. And she always finds some sort of smoking gun and it, it impresses me every time. That's awesome. So just wanted oh, to say Thank that. you. Yeah. We definitely dug deeper into this one than anyone else has that I've seen. And uh, yeah, it's, it's out the, the truth is out there. Monster dog.
You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard a discussion of the celebrity ghost recollections of Telly Savalas with myself, Karen, and frequent show contributor Matt Baxter. Check the show notes for links to Mr. Savalas telling these stories himself. Now, while we're skeptical about the material reality of ghosts, we love a good story well told and like to see what our critical thinking skills and a little research can say about such cases. Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as... Good Job Brain, I Know What Scares You, and I Know What Scares You. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. At Monster Talk, we're always looking into mysteries, but there's one mystery which only you can provide the answer for. Who are you? Airwave Media is doing a network-wide audience survey, and we would love to learn more about you, our listeners, the people who make this show possible with your support and attention. Just go to surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave all one word so that's surveymonkey.com forward slash r like the letter r forward slash airwave but don't worry i'll put a link to that in the show notes select monster talk from the drop down list of shows and then fill out the simple questions to tell us more about who you are we hope to hear from you that's surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave thanks Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. And thanks for all the well wishes sent my way after last week. I'm feeling much better, and it's nice to be able to stop coughing long enough to record this show for all of you. been a monster house presentation Jesus make Roberts the clock on my embalming room wall is ticking down only three weeks away to Wrestlemania oh yes there'll be a funeral in Stone Mountain Georgia loves you baby you're beautiful